0: So if you turn with me over to Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. So Luke 22, verse 39 through 46. We'll have it up here on the screen in just a moment. um, if If you can't find it or to get to it. Uh, but I want us to think about surrender, thinking about what it means to to surrender. Most times, we, we associate that that term, that idea of surrender, with war, with battle. We think of of different wars that have been fought. There came a point where where the Germans surrendered in World War II, where the J- J- Japanese uh, surrendered in World War II, and, and different all throughout history. That's the ones that come to mind. But all the wars and all you know awful things that have happened through wars, they ended with a surrender, usually, so with with some group of people surrendering to the opposition they were facing in that war. And we oftentimes think of that as surrender. But surrender can mean a lot of other things too. We're going to talk about some of those over the next few weeks. I don't want you just to to think of surrender as a negative connotation. Oftentimes we think of surrendering as losing. You, you, You put up a fight and you couldn't overcome it so you lost. You didn't get your way. Things didn't work out the way you wanted. You're a loser. That's not what we're going to talk about with surrender this time because honest to goodness... Surrender in the way that Scripture shows us, in the way that Jesus I, Jesus gives us an example of, brings victory, Amen. it brings glory, it brings strength, it brings help, it brings peace, it brings comfort during times of sorrow and, and suffering when we embrace surrender, sacrificial obedience, and surrender. Okay, so Luke chapter twenty-two verses thirty-nine through forty-six reads something like this: Is um, so we're going to talk about surrendering the little things. Okay, surrendering. The little things. We're going to talk a little bit more about that and you'll understand what that means. But here we go with the scripture. So it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives. This is talking of Jesus here. As he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone stone. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer, and he came to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow, and he said to them, why do you sleep, rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation? So this is Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 46. So so there's a the, the, all this whole scripture we'll work with, but the main verse, the main verse we really want to look at is verse 42, okay? And that's right here. So it says, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Think about that. Write it down. Remember it. And we'll talk about it here in a minute. Okay? So here we are with surrender. Okay? And in that verse, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, is a bold statement. Right? It's a bold statement. There's not very many people in my life that I would look at, tell them what I wanted, that I dreamed of, that I hoped for, what my will was, what my desire was, and said, but you choose what you want us to do. Not very many people that I would trust to really seek my best interest and really do what is best for me and give that ability, that responsibility, that impact over my life. with. But here we see Jesus is having this discussion with his Father, and that is the place he gets to. And honestly, it's a place that we should get to as Christians as well. We're Christians, we're cross like we're supposed to be following in his footsteps, we're his disciples. And that means we should do the things that he did. And he gave control to his father, right? Now that's a big thing. I'm not going to say it's not. I'm not going to stand here and say it's an easy thing for any one of us to do. But it's something that we should aim to do. And we can talk about how it's a good thing to do, how you want to do that. But really, rubber don't hit the road until we actually start talking about how do we do that. There's a lot of things I can talk about how I want to do. I might want to gain a million dollars, but I, you know, wanting it ain't gonna gonna make it happen. I might want to have a nice house or have a nice car or have this or have that, do this, go here, be this kind of person. Do all these things. Wanting it doesn't give it to you. It doesn't. Um I don't know if you've ever wanted something so bad that Disney movies put a, give a pretty bad rap to this. We, Harper loves the, what is it, uh, the princess and the frog. Wish on a, on a on a star and then there it is. You want it bad enough, it just appears. And, and you know, you might grow up with, that's not the reality of life. No matter how bad you want something, it usually just doesn't appear. Usually it just doesn't show up. It usually just doesn't happen. So so how do we get to the point where we read that, nevertheless not my will, but, but thine be done, Father. How do we get from wanting that to actually living that out in our life? That's what we're going to talk about over over the next couple, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes, okay? But let's first, I want to look at at Jesus. There, there's two main parties in, in this scripture that we're going to break down. Um, so we're going to talk about Jesus, and this is the big, this is the big sacrifice that happens in this scripture, okay? So what was Jesus, what was Christ about to face in this moment? You know, many times we might read that scripture, and we know what happens next. He's, at, he's in Gethsemane's garden. Judas is going to bring the Roman centurions and everything and, and, and the Jewish leaders in the temple are going to come with him. Judas will, will betray him. sells him for 30 pieces of silver. And they're going to come. Judas knows where he's going and everything. And they meet him there in Gethsemane's Garden. And they end up taking Jesus into custody. Jesus goes for a trial. He goes for different leaders. They pass him back and forth. They end up beating him and everything. They And one leader thinks that's going to be enough. The Jews want more and they push for more. And ultimately... They put them out there, but do uh, you remember um, rabbis? And, and they say which one you want, and they wanted Barabbas, and they said crucify, crucify Jesus, and that's what they did, they crucified Jesus. And we may read the scripture and think that the cup that Jesus was wanting removed from him was this crucifixion, was the physical pain and sacrifice that was going to come with that, and that was definitely a part of that. No, no man. No woman, no person ever lived or ever will live, desired or will desire for that to happen to them. That's an awful, awful way to die. But As I begin to study and look at this idea of, of a cup, Jesus didn't use the cup out of nowhere. Because Old Testament uses the term cup in multiple different ways to refer to a specific thing. In Isaiah 51 verse 17 reads like this and it refers to the cup. It says, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of His fury. That's capital H, so it's talking about the Lord's fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. This isn't the the only time that Scripture refers to it. The cup of His fury, the cup of His punishment, all all those things. The cup that Jesus is referring to is not just the cup of the physical pain. physical thing, He knows that this body will perish. It will go on and everything like that. The cup that He is referring to is the cup of, of God's fury and anger and, and holy hatred of sin. Amen. Jesus knew that He was about to take the sin of, of the world upon Him. And that through that, He would suffer the punishment that God had put aside for sin. That's right. Bible says that when sin came into the world with Adam and Eve, that, that death came into the world. Jesus knew that He was about to experience the separation and the torment that was to be without the presence of God. His father. And he said, Father, if this cup, if this separation, if this distance, if if this schism, if this this thing that's about to happen between me and you, if we can avoid it, if we can get over it, if we can move past it, if we can overlook it in any way, faster form, let it be so. Christ didn't, as he got closer and closer to this point, he didn't look upon it with excitement or thrill. Or enjoyment because he was flesh just like you and I were. And that fleshly part was apprehensive of what he was about to face. Because Jesus knew why he was put upon this earth. And he knew he wasn't put upon this earth just to do some good deeds. And, and to raise twelve men up. To, to know who he was. To know who the Father was. and teach them how to lead. And teach them how to preach. And all these things. He knew he came to die. He knew he came to suffer. He knew he came and eventually that presence that he had always known with his Father. would be separate. From, for a time. And he was apprehensive. No doubt he was fierce, fearful of it. And that, that fleshly part of him did not want to to go that way. Didn't want to feel the mental and the emotional pain of bearing the sin of all the world. You know the guilt that it feels with your own personal sin. Imagine the guilt of the entire world past present and future and he bears it on the cross. He didn't want that. He didn't want to be separated from God and laid open and exposed to any of the attacks that Satan had against him with nobody to call to and nobody to turn to. He didn't want this this cup. It was awful. I want you to understand how awful what he was about to experience was. Not just the crucifixion. We've seen the Passion of the Christ. You've seen the plays, the Easter dramas, you've seen it given multiple times of, of what the crucifixion, crucifixion looks like. And you've heard about the Catanine tales, all how it destroys people. You've heard about the how it, the, the crucifixion breaks down the, the anatomy and the biology of the body and just destroys it in an awful and a gruesome and a tiresome way. But there was so much more to it that made it even worse. Now here Jesus is. Crying out, saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. So much to the point that the Bible says his tears became his blood. And they've done studies on this. And over in London, there's a group that did a study. And they found that the body, once it's under so much stress, so much anxiety, so much pain, so much suffering, will begin to cry tears of blood. That is the level of, of hurt and pain and apprehension and fearfulness and stress that Christ was under in this moment. He didn't want to do part of this. He wanted the world to be saved. He wanted them to be free from sin. But if he had a way out, he would have taken it in this moment. Maybe he was hoping for an Abraham situation. When Abraham was taking Isaac upon the mountain, and God said, Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him on top of the mountain. And Abraham followed. He was obedient. He took him upon onto the top of the mountain. And as he was about to draw the knife back and kill his son, an angel stepped forward. He cried out and said, Abraham, hold your hold your blade. You've been obedient God Himself has provided a sacrifice. And no doubt maybe Jesus here in the garden, here in this moment of vulnerability and, and hurt and pain and all this was hoping for an Abraham moment. That angel would step out from heaven and say, Jesus, you've been obedient to this point. God will find another way. Yeah. Blessing, Lord. Maybe He was hoping for something to work out, something to change, the hearts and the minds of the world to change, and He would have to face this. He didn't want it. In this moment, at this point, In the story of the crucifixion and and, and the gospel in his life, he was apprehensive and he wanted to get away from it. He said, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way, any option, any alternative, let it pass from me. That's a big thing. It's a big deal. And it wasn't something that any of us would have wanted. Any of us would have uh, willingly taken. Any of us would have just jumped at joy for if we woke up in the morning and somebody said, this evening you'll be crucified. This evening you'll be separated from the presence of God. This evening you won't have any kind of protection against the attacks of the enemy. This evening you're going to feel the brunt force of all the evil in the world. All the sin in the world will fall upon you. None of us would have would have been thankful for that. And Jesus was suffering. He was mournful. And the fleshly part of Him was just was just wanted to run, just wanted to run. We knew he knew what he was about to face. We know what he is about to face. It's understandable. It's reasonable that Jesus here at this point in his life and in everything wanted to get away from it. But let's go back to verse forty-two and read that again. Saying, "Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will." But yours be done. So let's look at this. And y'all know I like to break down the scripture. There's two options here, right? We all can see that. My will, Jesus' will, yours, or your will. We'll just extend that. God's will, right? So two options. What's Jesus' will? Let it pass. Not turn. Some other options some other way to go, some other thing where he can avoid this, where he cannot be a part of it, where he doesn't have to walk this path, where he doesn't have to walk up is hill, he doesn't have to be crucified between two two thieves, he doesn't have to be dead and, and, and die there and lay in a borrowed tomb, where he doesn't have to go, he doesn't have to feel that separation, he doesn't have to feel the weight of the sin of the world upon him, he doesn't have to be attacked from all sides by the evil that, that comes into this world, that Satan has in his arms. He wanted an alternative. What's God's will? The Bible says God's will is not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Without a way to to heaven, without a sacrifice, there is no way to repentance. So God's will was for there to be a sacrifice given. Don't get it mixed up. It wasn't his will that his son would, would suffer. Just like any of us, the Bible multiple times gives parallels between us as fathers or parents and, and God as a father himself. It's not God's will, or it wasn't God's desire at this point for his son to suffer. But God understood that the sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve. Through their transgressions, through their disobedience, through what they did. And that because that sin was here, death was here, and there was a separation between man and, and God. And the only way to repair that, the only way to break down the barriers that that had been risen up by sin in the world and everything, the only way for that to happen was through a perfect sacrifice on the cross. And no doubt God had looked throughout all the ages of time, knowing all everything, for another perfect option, for another choice, for a way for His cup so we could pass on from His Son that someone had to take. And He looked and there was no other option. So God's will was for forgiveness and mercy to reign, and that only came through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. So here is where the surrender happens. This is where the moment of surrender in the story happens. And maybe the greatest sacrifice, or one of the greatest sacrifices written in Scripture of all of history happens here in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we gloss over it all the time. Jesus said, not my will, Father, but thine be done. He sacrificed his will for his Father's will. He surrendered his will for his Father's will. He surrendered what he wanted for what God wanted. A sacrifice was given here in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus ever hung on the cross. Jesus knew that if he got up from that place and went back out of the garden, he knew where Judas was at that very moment when he was washing the disciples' feet and he ate with them and they dunked the bread at the same time into the into the wine, he he told Judas, he said, whatever you must do, go do it quickly. He knew. He knew that Judas was on his way. And God had the option just like any of us had to walk away. He could have walked away. He could have ran. But he knew that this was between his will and his father's will, he would sacrifice his own desire for God's desire now think of that think think, think of that statement sacrifice his own desire for God's desire he sacrificed his will and personal desire to be obedient to his father he surrendered in that moment everything that he wanted for the sake of what God wanted and we can look at our own lives and thankfully, I, I believe that none of us have ever had to face such a, a grandiose situation, such a, a marvelous and, 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 and massive place to be in as Jesus was here in the Garden of Gethsemane. not have to face the, the separation between God and all of this, between crucifixion and dying here in this moment, giving our lives as a sacrifice for other people that are honestly unworthy and unfit for it. Many situa- in all of our situations, none of us are worthy of of the mercy and love of God without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself and he made the choice to surrender to God in this big life and death situation that none of us can really honestly grasp or wrap our minds around and comprehend he chose to surrender his own will so that God's will would be done now we see this. Like I said, that that the scripture, not my my will, of Father, but, but yours be done. And we see that, and we want that, we desire that. As Christians, we say, yeah, I want to be that type of person that puts God's will, that puts God's desire, that puts God's plan in front of everything else in my life. But not one of us in that situation, the Garden of Gethsemane, would have got up and went back out the front that he came in. Because we're carnal, we're fleshly, we're we're, we're, we're people that are full of sin and all these things. But how do we approach that level of trust and love for the Father? Well, the Scripture gives us very clear understanding of that as well. Because this doesn't start with the big thing, right? It doesn't start with the big sacrifice. It doesn't start with the big surrender. It usually starts with the little, right? Wars and things like that. There's usually smaller surrenders at battles before the whole war is surrendered. Different ones. You can look at different wars, revolutionary wars, civil war, all throughout. There was little, singular, isolated surrenders at different places, at different battles, before there was ultimately a big surrender for the war. It's the same thing with our lives as well. Because, like I said, there's two different parties here in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's Christ, who has the big sacrifice. He says, I'll sacrifice my will to live. To go about, to not have to take this cup, to not have to feel your anger, your retribution, the punishment that that you have towards sin, to not bear that weight. I'll sacrifice that for your will. But then there's also the disciples that are present. See, before Jesus went ahead to pray, what did he do? He made a request to the disciples. He said, stay here and pray. Stay and pray. This wasn't the first time they'd heard about prayer. He had taught them to pray multiple times. It's where we where we get the the prayer that you know we we say a lot of times. You know, in different things that we teach kids to pray and all these things. The pattern of prayer that he gives us. So the disciples knew to pray. The Bible talks about multiple situations where they would pray to God for you know maybe a demon to be exercised, somebody to be healed, different things, situations where they we see they understand that prayer is communication with God, with something with, with the divine, the Father, right? So they knew what prayer was. They also saw how grieved their, their master was. They saw the weight that he was bearing. They saw how he acted at supper. They'd heard him talk about it. If they hadn't fully grasped that he was going to die, they knew that something was happening in Jesus' life. So he says, Stay here and pray. Stay and pray. But when he came back, what does the Bible say? It says when he returned, he found them asleep. Asleep. So let's look at verse 42 again. Okay? We use this same pattern, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. We all we say we want that, right? So let's say it's the disciples saying it now. Because they wanted to follow Jesus, right? So let's put them in this. My will then would be the disciples' will. You could Peter or James or John, those were the three that he brought into the most inner part of the garden with him. Peter's will, not Peter's will, but yours in this case, Christ gave him a clear statement of what his desire for what Peter was to do with. He said, Peter, pray. John, pray. James, pray. Disciples, Pray. So this is the statement that we want to have. Not the disciples' will, but Christ's be done. But ultimately, that's not what happened, was it? If you're in the Garden of Gethsemane in, the, in this time in this moment where Jesus is weeping and crying out and the Bible says blood, tears of blood and he, he's mourning, he's grieving, he's trying to process through all this, begging God just to, to send another way to pass this cup. Here the disciples are. As Jesus puts... God's will before His own, the disciples decide that their will and desire to sleep is more important than their Savior's and their Master's desire for them to pray. So really what they lived out in their life was, not your will, Christ, but mine be done. Not Christ's will, not God's will, but mine be done. We can find ourselves in the same situation in our walks with Christ. Not a one of us can say that we haven't. Through scripture, or preaching, or maybe through some quiet time and we're praying and everything, we're alone, maybe in our closet in the car, wherever we're at, we do that. We've heard or we've felt the, the Spirit of God reveal something to us, what He wants us to do, how he would want us to live our life, the way he'd wants us to go, what decisions he'd want us to make, how we can be obedient. To him. Make it clear. We've heard it. We've seen it. Jesus couldn't have been much clearer. Unless he would have got down on his hands and knees right beside him and said, Do this. Say these words. And wait to I get back. He said, Go pray. Go pray. Very clear. A lot of times we complain that we don't understand the will of God. In this, they had no excuse. of saying, I didn't understand what you meant. He said, Go pray. And there will be times through through these things, through the voice of the Holy Spirit of God working within us, dwelling within us, moving within us, that it will be very clear what it is that God wants us to do. He'll show us, He'll reveal it to us. And we have that choice to make, whether not my will, but yours, or not your will, but mine. Because see, Jesus wasn't just asking them to pray, just to have something to do. Well, he goes out and, and figures this all out by himself, just so they can stay busy, right? He wasn't just saying, hey, you go and pray, just just twiddle your thumbs, just say a few words, just wait for me, I'll come back, and then the real good stuff will happen. Then we'll really get the action, then, then things will start, start moving. He had them pray because he knew that they needed it. Because he was Christ himself, the Son of God, in this moment, torn apart. Upset, frustrated, concerned. All these things weighing on him. He says, he says, if I, no doubt in his mind, he's thinking, if, if I'm struggling with being obedient to my Father in this moment, how much more will you struggle in these great things that are gonna, you're going to face the next years without me? So we go ahead and he, he sets the stage. He says, start now choosing my will over your will. So that when the bigger thing comes up, you'll be more prepared to choose my will over yours. Because the honest reality is, is that in any relationship, it takes time for us to go to choosing the other person's will over our own. Not many of you probably, when you first had a relation, you know, got married or had a girlfriend, or boyfriend, or whatever it was, you know, automatically just started sacrificing everything you did for the sake of that other person. Probably not in happened. But over time, it has adjusted to where you're willing to sacrifice bigger things. You might have had a hard time just sacrificing some room in the drawer, right? Just to make room for somebody's, you know, whatever it was, you know, pajamas or whatnot. But now you're you're sacrificing bigger things. You're putting their health, their their best interest in, in front of yours as long as you're, getting, you're, you're together. Because that's what happens. It starts with the little things and then by making those sacrifices... And surrendering those little things, we're able to do that in the bigger things. The same can be said in our relationship with Christ. We just don't automatically get saved and ready to surrender everything in the moment, instantly, our very lives to Christ. We're not. But over time, we can get to the place where we're willing to surrender more, and the bigger parts. But it has to start with us surrendering little things. Peter and them, they couldn't even surrender about an hour maybe of sleep for the sake of Christ and pray like he wanted them to. So what were they going to do whenever they came for them? When they came to, to crucify Peter upside down? Send John to the Old Patterns and take James and I think he was uh, he was speared, I think, and killed. We, how, how were they going to do that if they can't even choose to pray for the sake of Christ? Now we must look at those things in, in our life as well. Are we willing to surrender the little things? You may look at your life. All right, maybe I, I, no doubt I have at different points. I thought, well, I wouldn't have been disobedient in that situation. I would have prayed like the Lord told me to. Or maybe you say, well, you give some big proclamation, bold proclamation of, of your devotion to Christ. Well, I, I love the Lord. No, there's no way I would have done that. I would have, I would have listened to Him. I would have followed Him. The disciples said something very similar. Matthew chapter 26, 35 reads like this. It says, Peter said to him, this is Jesus talking about what was about to happen. He's about to die. He's about to be crucified. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. So said all the disciples. I don't know about you. When I first started dating terror, um, I'd say things like, I'd do anything for you. I guess i still do. Maybe. I don't know. I'd do anything for you. I got you, babe. Whatever you want. You just ask. I got you. You call me whenever you need something. I'll be there. Maybe you've said that. Moms, maybe you've heard your, your spouse say that as well. And then maybe you get up on Saturday morning and Somebody brings up going to a thrift store or the mall or get their nails done, or one night, somebody says, "I really want to sit down and talk about what we're feeling about this situation." right? And all those grandiose proclamations you made, bold things of how whatever you want, I'll do. You just ask, I won't quit, I'll never question. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go to the ends of the worlds for you. All those things would come in doubt when we're asked something very small like that sometimes. And vice versa, you know, the situation goes on both sides. That's what we see here with the disciples. Peter says, i die for you, Lord. When in reality, he wouldn't even pray for an hour for him. Peter thought he was ready to sacrifice the big things, but in reality, he wasn't even at a place in his life where he could sacrifice the little things an hour of prayer for the sake of the hour of sleep. How many bold proclamations have we as Christians made in our walk with Christ? How many times have we said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you lead me. Lord, even if the church comes under persecution, and we have to have church in, in, in houses and under underground, and we have to hide, and we have to be secretive. Even if my life is at risk, I'll still serve you. I'll still worship you. I'll still go to your body. I'll still do and be and, and be faithful to you. How many times have we said those things or shook our heads when somebody else said those things or agreed with somebody? We make those bold proclamations when reality is we. I'll follow you wherever you go Lord and he's just asking us to go talk to our neighbor we won't even follow him there I'll do whatever you want me to Lord but I just can't give that part of my my life up I would die for the sake of Christ if they came and they asked me do you believe in Christ proclaim his name and and we'll take everything from you yes I'll do that I'll stand in the doorway and let them chain me and walk me out to wherever. And we're too afraid to mention his name in the workplace, in the store, or at school, or sometimes even in our homes. We can say these big bold statements all we want to. It sounds righteous and sounds religious and sound like the people that we want to be and sound like these great spiritual leaders. But we too, just like the disciples, oftentimes find ourselves where we won't sacrifice an hour of sleep for an hour of prayer. Won't sacrifice an evening at home to go and meet with somebody that's in a desperate place, place that needs us. Won't sacrifice the little bit of comfort that comes with with not having to bring up religion in certain conversations just to talk to somebody about about Jesus in the workplace or at home or whatnot. We talk about being ready to sacrifice the big things think that we're ready to do like Jesus and sacrifice our own will for whatever God wants when the honest truth is that we really struggle to let go sacrifice, cast aside and surrender the little things the little things and I'm not saying this from a place where I I do it all the time I don't I fail and I struggle I'll hear the voice of God or read something and be convicted of it and then I'll I'll still decide to take my will over His. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I'm the perfect man that I I come from this from a place of righteousness and I can speak with authority because this is who I am and this is what I do. I fail at this. And if we're honest, we all fail at this. So many times we choose the little things of what we want instead of what God wants. You know, I always like to fill in the blank questions in school. Word problems are some kind sometimes difficult. Because you had to work through all the situations, figure out what information was relevant, what information is irrelevant, what information do you need for the question, what information you know has you know is really important. Let's go back to this. Would we, if if we would just take this phrase, it's underlined. And really just make a blank here and make a blank there. And really begins that I set every part of our life and decide what is my will in a situation and what is God's will. And really be earnest and honest with ourselves and ask ourselves the question, Can we truly say, not my will, not just in the big things but the little things, not my will, but yours be done. If you wrote down ten situations that you're facing in your life, whether it be with family or at work or finances or health or whatever it be, you write down those ten situations, how many of those ten could you look at that statement and say, I really believe that statement and I will live it out and I will follow it in that area of my life? How many out of the ten could we honestly say, nevertheless, not my will and my finances, Father, but yours? Not my will and my family, but yours? Not my will with my car, but yours. Not my will with my house, but yours. Not my will with my health, but yours. Not my will with my marriage, but yours. Not my will, Father, but yours. How many situations do we really trust God with the little things? Or anything? Because if we don't trust Him enough to say this about the little things, we'll never come to a point where we can really trust Him to say that about the big things. And we have to, have to, as believers in Christ, live this out. Because the world will teach you that what you want or what you need should be your priority. That your will trumps everybody else's. And that you just compete with everybody else to see who gets it. But God teaches us something very different. And Christ is the perfect example of it here in this moment here in Gethsemane's garden, weeping and, and suffering and pouring out everything to his father, and still he says, not my will, but yours be done. And we have to come to a place where we trust him enough in the little things to say that so that we can then do better about it in the big things. So we see how Jesus did this in the big thing, but really how do we do it? We, we, we see that we have to start with the little things. But man, there's nothing that we try to do for the sake of God and that's obedient to Him that the enemy will not attack us. He will not come against us. And in this situation, many times, this is what happens. He sends excuses. Now, there, I had a song playing. When Tara woke up this morning, I was playing. I played it all morning. She said, why are you playing that song this morning? I said, "You'll sing a little bit. Um, I'm not singing it, okay? I, I, it, I don't know the whole song. And, and it's a kind of a funny song. I don't know if anybody knows The Kingsman, okay? It, it's I know there's a movie out by The Kingsman. We're not talking about that Kingsman. There's a group, I think it's a quartet, gospel singers. I don't even know if they sing anymore, but they used to did at least The Kingsman, okay? Typical quartet, four old men and three piece suits. That's how they all dressed. I don't know why. They must have just got a good deal on them, Okay. <laughs> For the Kingsmen, they sing a, a song called Excuses, Excuses, okay? This song is generally directed towards just church attendance, but I, I, as you listen to the song, you can realize it can apply to any area that God is wanting you to be obedient in, his, in, in your life, right? It gives you reasons, and talks about how the devil will give you reasons to avoid being obedient to God. And these are the first couple of lines, okay? I encourage you, go listen to the song. It really is funny by the end of it. You know, there's not many gospel songs that are are comedy value. But this one is, okay? It's a good one. So it says, And the devil, he'll supply them if the church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So when we come to know the Lord, when we get close to God, the devil loses, right? So what's he going to do? So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. Keep us from being obedient to God, he gives us excuses. And he goes, in the summer it's too hot, in the winter it's too cold. In the springtime when the weather's just right, you find someplace else to go. You know? It goes on. It gets to the part about preaching and everything. I think that's hilarious, alright? Um, I, I was like, I don't even know where I fall on some of some people. Um, talks about how to preach too long, too short. I think Dave thinks I'm too long now. Um, too loud, too quiet, too bold, too meek. You know, all this. It goes through all of it, okay? And then talks about how to preach when one of them his hand Terry said, That's you, really? like I know, probably. No problem. Um, all these things. Okay, goes through all these lists. of excuses. And there's every reason in the world to not be obedient to God. There is. There is. In in, in 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 all honesty, I believe that that generations in past were more obedient, or at least seemed more obedient. We weren't. We didn't live through it. We didn't see it. But from stories and things like that, it seems like they were more trusting. More obedient to God. Right? The Bible does say it'll lack worse and worse, so there there's you know there's evidence of that. I really believe one of the reasons that is so is because there wasn't the options that there are now. That's reality. You couldn't drive everywhere, and the only thing that you could get around people, if you wanted to be social, you had to go to church. You weren't going to Walmart because there were no Walmart. You, you had to go to church. You know, you want to be around people, you go to church. You wanted to meet somebody, a day, well, you go to church. You you know, you, you want to see family, you go to church. You want to do this, you want to do that. You want to eat a good meal, you go to church. It was the center of society at one point, it, and it's not that anymore. That's reality, right? My daughter will not grow up in a society, a global society, where the church is the center of it. That won't come back. But there's all kinds of and every reason and every excuse to not be obedient to God. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the talent. I'm afraid to do that. It's too big of a thing that He's asking of me, or maybe it's too small for somebody of my stature. I don't like the people I'd be serving with, or the people I'll be serving make me uncomfortable. And it goes on and on and on. The list of reasons and excuses to not serve. To not be obedient. To not follow in His footsteps. To not sacrifice your will in sake of the Father's will. We could sit here for hours and give reasons of why not to. And I'm not going to act like there's not. There's all number of reasons. But there is one reason that we should try our best. To live by that statement. And that's because he lived by that statement. There's every reason not to. Too busy, got too much stuff going on. The kids or the family or the work or this or that. All number of reasons and excuses. But the one reason I will give you. That we should live by this statement. That we should seek to be to this be an honest statement about our life. That when time comes and, and we and we and our life ends, that our children and our grandchildren and our family, people we go to church with, people we work with, can stand beside our grave, stand beside our grave and say this: that they really lived not by their will, but yours. The reason we should do that is because He did that, and because He did that, it led Him to the cross. Ultimately, it started when he left heaven in the first place and was born of a woman. Came into this world, lived 30 some years, was persecuted by, by the Jews, the very ones he came to, to be there for, to save, to help that he came through. Did all these things. Loved people, served people, healed people, helped people, fed people. Went to anybody and everybody. sat with the harlots and set with, with the tax collectors and, and loved them and, and ate with them. Did all these things. Because, not His will, the mommy died. This was Jesus' motto from the very beginning. Because what happened, I think he was about 12 years old, the Bible tells us. I'll be wrong about that. 12 years old. The Bible says that his family went to into, into Jerusalem for one of, the, one of the feasts, like they were supposed to, like things went. And they got a couple of days away and like every parent does, completely forgets their kid and they finally realize it once they're back home and everybody gets out of the car except for that one. Well, they go, go back and get them. Mary goes back to get him, and she finds them in the temple. No doubt. You know, maybe scolds him a little bit. It's Jesus, where have you been? We've been three days away. You're always so quiet anyway. So we didn't even realize you weren't gone. And then Joseph noticed you weren't there. And then we had to come back to Where have you been? And he says, Mother, don't you know I must be about my father's business. In other words, not my will, Mother. Not your will. Not Daddy's will. Not King's will. Not nobody's will my father's must be done and that should be our God encompassed the thing that we live by the thing that we we act by with how we minister in our church how we develop our ministry how we live about with our family and the decisions we make as a family and as individuals in our workplaces in our schools at home in the grocery store how we drive all these things should be dictated and guided by not my will, father but yours be done it starts with the little things little things. Sacrificing and surrendering the little things. Giving him the little things. And then we'll be more able and have the ability to make those calls and the big things as well. Because by doing that we'll become closer to the men and women of God that he desires us to be. And we come to church and if I asked any of you, do you want to be more like Christ? Do you want to be who God wants you to be? I pray that each of you would say yes, but my greater prayer is that each of you would mean it. And that this wouldn't be another bold statement. That yes, I want to be who God wants me to be. But that you really mean it. And if you really mean it, if you really want to be who God wants you to be, the mother, the father, the sister, the brother, all these things, the 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 this the, the, the wife, the husband, the church member, the community member, the member of Elk Valley, whatever it may be, I want to be the one in that situation that God wants me to be, and that's how you do it. Through every aspect of your life, evaluating it through that lens. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. That's how you do it. That's how Jesus did it. How he was able to get to that point where. Life of death situation. He said, not my will, Father. You know I don't want this cup. But if you want me to drink it, I'll drink it. If you want me to take it, I'll take it. If it's the only way to feel this separation, to feel this weight and the burden and the mental and the emotional strain that comes with it and all these things, that's the only way I'll do it. Because if that's your will, that's the thing that I'm going to put above anything else. And we have to come to that place to overlook all the excuses, all the reasons not to, And do it because He did it. Amen.